ready? Yes. <laughs> Good morning. When I come to India every year, there are two rooms in two buildings that are my favorite rooms in all of India. The first room that's my favorite room is at PR Misra's house. It's his kitchen where Anju cooks us a delicious meal every year. PR and Anju always try to fatten me up every year and I go home heavier than when I came. My second favorite room, however, is this room right here that we are in. No matter what time of the year I come, there's always a nice cool breeze, a beautiful view of the ocean and the surrounding land. And most importantly, you're here. And you always make me feel so welcome. And I'm so excited that my friends, Pastor Ron and Pastor Shannon, get to meet you and teach you and work with you in person. And I'm so happy to see so many familiar faces of you that I remember from the years before. And especially the face of my wonderful translator, <laughs> So this year, I'm going to be talking to you, uh, now that you have your Bibles, you can, you can use your Bibles and turn to them and reference them this year. Because I want to talk to you and teach this year on one of the most neglected or underused parts of the whole Bible. I'm going to talk to you this year about the law of Israel. The books that we don't always read or that we don't always preach from on Sunday mornings. Especially the books like Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You see, these books are the foundation of the entire Bible. They 
They not only tell the story of God's creation of the world. But they also tell the story of God's creation of his people Israel. And they tell how God formed Israel from one single man. And how he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And then he made with them a covenant of binding agreement. And this covenant that God made with them was how they would live in the land as his people. And yet even at this point in these early books we read that Israel will one day break that covenant. And as a result of Israel's rebellion and disobedience they would be cast out of the promised land. But God knew this before it ever happened. And at the very end of the first five books, the covenant books, God tells them that even after the covenant has been broken, that they will turn to him in repentance and that he will renew them not by giving them a new set of laws but by putting his spirit inside and by transforming their hearts. And then one day there would be a new covenant that would take place that would bring the old covenant to its finish. And this new covenant would go out to all the world so that all of the nations could come into Israel. Now all of this is found in one way or another in the first five books of the Bible. But many times when people seek to preach or teach these books, they read them and they pull out the stories that are in the books. And once they get to around Exodus chapter 19 or 20, they skip over the rest of the book. 
They skip over all of Leviticus. They may pull out one or two story from the book of Numbers. And then they skip all of Deuteronomy. Because these books contain not just stories but they contain laws and rituals and regulations. And honestly, most preachers, at least in America, don't know what to do with these laws and regulations. And so they make one of two mistakes. They either take the law and try to tell their people to keep the law as it's written in the Old Testament and thus putting their people back under the bondage of the law that Jesus redeemed us from or they commit the opposite error they don't do anything with the books at all they read the stories and then jump right into the psalms and the other stories of the Old Testament so the Torah laws become the forgotten part of the Bible for most Christians and this is such a shame because when Paul and Peter and James and John preached the gospel many times they started with the foundational promises of the Torah. In fact, these five books, and have them repeat this after me, these five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these five books in Hebrew were known as the Torah. Here's your Hebrew word for the day, Torah. Say it, Torah. Torah. Torah means literally to point. The verb that the word Torah comes from is the verb that means to point out or to point the way. Because for God's people who lived in the covenant as Israel, they 
Torah pointed out the way that they should live, the way they should walk. And their living and walking by the means or the, the rules of Torah was a way of pointing to the God who gave them Torah. So Torah was God's way of pointing out to Israel how you shall live. And it was Israel's way of showing, of taking to all the other nations, pointing them to the God that they serve. And for the authors of the New Testament and Christians today, the Torah also pointed forward to the coming Messiah, Jesus. So when you read and study Torah, you are, you are, God is pointing out to you how we should live and how we should walk. Even though we don't live by keeping the laws that they found in Torah anymore. This is a concept that many Christians and many preachers don't even fully understand. But once you do understand it, it will transform your preaching, your teaching, and your ministry. And like the Hebrew psalmists in Israel, you too can say, I delight in God's law. Because for the people of Israel before Jesus, the law was not considered a curse or a burden. It was a prize and a joy. Because it was the sign that they were in relationship with God. So the Israelites never kept the Torah laws as a means to gain their salvation. They kept the laws or were supposed to keep the laws as a celebration of the salvation that God had already given them. So 
So we will walk through the five books of Torah in our time together. And then at the end I will give you some tips or some uh, some ways that you can not only read and understand but that you can preach to your people as well. So let's start with the book of Genesis which is one of the th very first things I ever taught you my first trip to India. As you may remember, Genesis begins with God creating the world. If you want to write this on your paper in the back of your notebook, you can draw this out as well. And if you can't see it in the back, after we're done, you can come up and I'll leave it and you can. So in the early chapters of Genesis, God creates the nations, but because of sin, because of the actions of the serpent and humanity giving themselves over the nations by the time we get to Genesis 10 Genesis 11 the nations have gone their own way and become separated from God. And we talked some of this when I came and taught on Revelation as well as last time when I talked from Romans. Because, as you see, the New Testament books like Romans and Revelation draw entirely on the foundation of Torah. So in the, around Genesis, at Genesis chapter 12, a certain man comes on the scene. And this man's name is Abraham. And God makes a promise to Abraham chapter 12. Now take your Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. That's okay. More important that they hear you than me. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now if you have if you have a pencil or a pen, then this chapter, this verse, Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, you should write 
you should uh, underline or highlight or make a mark because it is extremely important. This is the beginning of the people of Israel. And this is the foundation of the whole rest of the Old Testament. And all the way into the New Testament as well. So while you may not know the whole book of Genesis, this chapter, chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 18, should be, in your mind, important points to remember, even if you can't remember all the verses. Someone read chapter 12. Uh, give them the microphones, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> now in this section God makes six promises to Abraham he simply tells Abraham if you go to the place that I will show you he hasn't even shown him yet then I will do these six things and you can read them there I will bless you I'll make you a great nation I'll make your name great those who bless you I'll bless it's a Christian I'll curse and it all leads up to the last one in verse 3 in you Abraham all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, that phrase, in you, is important because as we'll see later, there's going to be another one in whom things happen. But right now, Abraham is just one man. And he's an old man. And his wife is an old woman. 
They're long past the age at which they should be able to have children. And so after this, for years and years, Abraham continues to live with no children. And then many years later, God comes back to him for the second time in chapter 15. And we won't read it, but again, you can turn to that and make a note, circle, underline, just know that chapter 15 is important. It's so important. I taught on it last time when we talked through the book of Romans and the promises that Paul says God made to Abraham. Do you remember how I told you about making an agreement? You would take the animals and cut them in half and put them alongside each other? Do they remember? Last year, when we talked about Romans, we looked at this chapter and how animals were cut in half and put alongside each other. And how God himself passed between those animal parts making a covenant with Abraham. This is what happened this is what happened back in Genesis chapter 15 in this chapter that Paul talks about in Romans. You see, in Genesis 15, Abraham has no children and so he has no hope of any future blessings in this world. He believes that he will die and all of his household will be passed on to his servant, Eliezer. And so God shows up again years later after the initial promise to tell him, you will receive this blessing. That not only will you have a son, but that you will have as many sons as there are stars in the sky. And all of the land around you that you're living in right now as a foreigner, will belong to your offspring. Now, this is where, and, and God does that ceremony, completing the covenant, swearing by his own faithfulness that it will happen. 
This is the Abrahamic promise. This is where God promises to Abraham that through the seed of Abraham and he used the word seed that all the nations in all the world will be blessed from God even though they all walk after their own gods and they've all gone to their own religions. It's going to happen through the seed of Abraham. In the land of the time known as Canaan or today Israel. But then God tells Abraham, but it's not going to be for 400 more years. I'm going to do this thing I promised to you, Abraham, and to your seed in 400 years. Is anyone in here 400 years old? Is anyone in here 100 years old? <laughs> this is a long time. This is a longer period of time than the entire history of my country, America. So what we see now at this point in the covenant is that God's promise to bless the nations and to give Abraham all that he has given will take a long time. God's timetable, God's timeline is much bigger than we can comprehend. Remember, there had been over a decade that had passed, over 10 years had passed between chapter 12 and chapter 15. So don't get the idea that in the Old Testament God always talked to Abraham. Abraham, like us, walked by faith rather than by sight many times. So in chapter 15, after this ceremony and after God says what he's going to do, it says, the text says that Abraham believed God and that it was then reckoned to him as righteousness. 
This is the point at which we in modern church would say Abraham got saved. And this is 400 years before the law at Mount Sinai for Israel would ever be given. So Paul can look back at Abraham as we saw last time I was with you. To show to his fellow Jewish people that faith comes before the law. And that salvation has always come through faith rather than through keeping the law. In fact, in the whole book of Genesis will come and go and come to an end and the law is never even given. The law is not even given until halfway through the book of Exodus. So, let's continue with this story and then we will finish up Genesis. Abraham eventually gets old and he has two sons. He has a son named Ishmael. The older son. And then he has Isaac. The younger son. <laughs> and God says throughout the story, Genesis is all about the, the family of Abraham and how God relates to them with the covenant. God tells Abraham, I love Ishmael and I'm going to protect and to take care of Ishmael. But my plan, my promise to reach the nations is going to come through Isaac, not Ishmael. The younger rather than the older. And then as we read on through the rest of Genesis, Isaac also has two sons. He has an oldest, they're twins, but the one that comes out first is named Esau. 
And the second one that comes out of the twins is named Jacob. Now Esau and Jacob are twins to Isaac. But their personalities are very different. Esau is an outdoorsman, a hunter, a, work, work, a manly man. And Jacob is a quieter and a more deceptive man. You see, Jacob, the name Jacob literally means one who comes up from behind and takes what doesn't belong to him. Interestingly, when, when the names were being translated into English, for some reason that I still don't understand, they translated the name Jacob in the New Testament they translated it as James my name <laughs> it's not a great name because Jacob is not a great character in fact, when we meet him and for most of his life, he's not the good guy. And yet, it is this one, Jacob, who God says once again, the blessing will not come through the older. The promise that I made to the seed of Abraham will come through the younger. The younger who does not deserve it. You see, that's part of what Genesis shows us through these stories. That God doesn't just, it's not even that God works through the unexpected. God does work through the unexpected, yes. But more than that, God can even work through the undeserving. God can even accomplish his overall purpose for the world through the actions of people who are even rebelling against him.
You see, Genesis, the book of Genesis, communicates one of its major themes. That despite human failure and humans putting the promise in jeopardy, putting the promise, uh, making uh, uncertain. Even though humans do everything possible to mess up the promise that God gave, God's promise will continue to go forward. Now midway or towards the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob has an encounter with a man. And Jacob and this mysterious man wrestle all night. And Jacob looks like he is winning this wrestling match. And so the man basically says, Okay, I give up, let me go. And Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so the man does bless Jacob. He passes on this promised blessing to Jacob. And he changes Jacob's name. He says, no longer will your name be one who comes and takes what's not his. But now your name will be the one who wrestles with God. And the word for that in Hebrew is Israel. And this is where Jacob becomes Israel. He gets a change in character as well as a change in name. Because over the years that this has happened, Jacob has changed in his relationship with God. And so Jacob, Israel, eventually has 12 sons. And these become known as the tribes of Israel. And God promises that it's through his offspring, his seed, that he will keep the promise he made to Abraham. That the family of Jacob, the people of Israel, will be the means by which God reaches 
Now there's a question that people always ask when they read the chapter where Jacob and God wrestle. And the question is, how can a man wrestle with God and win? Now this always puzzled me uh, until uh, I thought of it in, in a particular way, until an example came up. I'll share that example with you and it may help. How many of you have or have ever had small children? Raise your hand. How many of you have Okay. So when your children are small and they're learning to walk and they're learning to run and they're learning to play, have you ever gotten down with them and wrestled with them? Now I don't have children of my own. But one aspect of my ministry, Disciple Dojo, my ministry, is I teach martial arts to refugee children from all over the world that have ended up in Charlotte. I teach them that for self-defense and for character formation and to help them as they settle in their new city. Now most of my students are pretty small. The youngest are seven and eight years old. So I will teach them, for instance, uh, a particular move. I'll teach them a particular technique. You know, how to and they train and they learn these techniques and I show them and we practice, practice, practice. And then sometimes one of my little ones will come up and they'll say, is this how you do it? And so I'll say, well, show me. Do it on me. And so they'll take their little hand and they'll grab my wrist and they'll turn it in the right way. And if they do it right, if they do it correctly, do you think that I take my hand and use all of my strength and go throw them a 
And that's the storyteller's way of saying, it's over now, you can go to sleep, or you can go home, or you can leave the movie theater. But the story of Genesis does not do this. This, the book of Genesis ends with there being a problem still hanging in the air. The story has not been resolved. <coughs> because God promised Abraham's seed in Genesis 12 that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so yes, by the end of Genesis, it says that all the nations came to Egypt to buy grain from Pharaoh. And that that was because of the blessing that God gave to Joseph. And so Joseph, as Abraham's seed, was blessing the nations. This is only one small foreshadowing. You know foreshadowing? So the nations being saved by Joseph in Egypt it's just a taste, just an appetizer for the main meal that's yet to come. This is how Genesis ends. The people of God, the seed of Abraham, are living in Egypt, not in the promised land. So Joseph, or excuse me, Israel, Jacob, even tells his children that when I die and you bury me in the future I want to inherit the promised land so take my bones and bury them in the land of Canaan Jacob knew that the promise of God and the worldwide blessing 
जेतु जाकुर भलोरे जाइले ते ईश्वर मोर से प्रतिज्ञा बा संपूर्ण से बड़ो प्रतिज्ञा would come true even on the other side of death he knew that even if his body dies and his soul goes to the grave to rest that yet still God would be faithful to his promise and that Jacob along with Isaac and along with Abraham would live in the land. This is the beginning hence that we get of the concept of resurrection. That as the prophet Isaiah tells us later, one day God would undo death itself. So even in the Old Testament, the hope was not that we just die and our soul goes to heaven forever. The hope, rather, for God's people was that even if we die, one day our bodies will live again. Our actual bodies. That God would one day in the end raise up all of his people. So that they could live with God in his presence. In the good land on the good earth that he had created for so while some well-meaning Christians may teach that the goal is to die and go to heaven, those Christian teachers who know their Bibles well will realize that that may be true, but we don't stay with our bodies dead and our souls in heaven. Because the real final chapter of the story as we talked about the years ago when I taught you Revelation is that heaven will one day come to earth. That this world that has been distorted and twisted and polluted by sin and death
will one day be restored, be cleansed, be purged, and renewed. And that those who are left behind after this cleansing of creation are the people of God who remain with Him forever. This is how then God will ultimately fulfill His promise. That through the seed of Abraham, the nations will be drawn back to God. And the thing that separates the nations from God, sin and death, will one day be destroyed. And for those of us who are Christians, we've already gotten a foretaste, a foreshadowing of this. We got it when Jesus, the true seed of Abraham, the true Israel, the true Son of God, experienced death was buried in the earth and through the power of God was raised up not brought back to life but like Lazarus or the widow's son the life that Jesus experienced after rising from the dead was the resurrection life. The life that one day we all too will participate in. If we are in Him. So Jesus brings to fulfillment the promises that began all the way back in Genesis. And in our next session, we're going to see how the books of Exodus and Leviticus developed this promise as the story continues. And we'll see how the seed of God, the seed, the, the seed of Abraham, goes from being one person, Isaac, to 12, a family of 12, Israel, to where we begin the book of Exodus, it's become a mighty nation that's almost impossible to count. In and we'll see how God says, I'm going to use this nation 
to bring about the promise I made to their ancestor Abraham. If, if they walk with me in faithful obedience. So we'll look at that in the next session. Does that sound good? Ah, good. Hallelujah. Thank you.